It's episode 12 of the Improv London podcast with this week's guest, Emily Murphy. This ain't gonna be easy. Hello, I'm your host, Stuart Moses. Welcome to episode 12. I had a, a lovely time speaking to Emily and uh, we talked about lots of things. We talked about her work as assistant director for Flashbulb, which is part of the Nursery Original series. We talked about her love of clowning and her work with sketch group The Coterie and much, much more. This is the bit about the gold. This is what I always no, say. No, but can you going to get me in trouble? Because I'm not supposed to say where I am. No. Uh, there is there is a small overlap of people. Yes. Well, we, actually, it's only you, isn't it, that know about my job and my improv. Yes. And... Well, we've got to say where we are. <laughs> okay, where are we? Ooh, I don't know. We're not going to say. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you say? Did I? Or did I not in words? I don't think you did. I think it's words are the way to communicate on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, it is it's primarily <laughs> unlike improv, <laughs> where words are sometimes a distraction mm. and cause confusion. So true. On the on the podcast they're really rather essential. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna slurp this. Go I feel for like it. you know when you're having your haircut and you get made a drink. Yeah. And you wanna have it but they keep cutting your hair and you can't, and then you're like, oh, it's got gold. I have to but say, I don't really have my hair cut at places where I get served drinks. Do you not? No. That's a prerequisite for me. Yeah. I need to go to this place just because they, they give you a champagne cocktail <laughs> and a hair massage. Yeah. Champagne cocktail? Yeah. Yes, I did. And there's dogs. And there's dogs? Yeah, but... Why is this amazing place that you get your hair cut at? What's it called? It's in um, Spitalfields. Something and somethings. <laughs> I don't know, I can't afford it anymore. Like, <laughs> Brummy and Brummy, I can't remember what it's called. I don't think that's what it's called. Well, they're not sponsoring the podcast, so they don't get a, uh, they don't get, they don't get a plug. Ow, it's really hot. I should have waited. I should have waited. Anyway. <laughs> oh, what are we doing then? Well, um, I'm here to ask you... Emily Murphy, the tough yeah. questions. Okay. <laughs> I just want you to know that I can't remember anything that I've ever done, <laughs> apart from last night and this week. Right. That's, that's true. But I'll try. <laughs> well, what were you doing last night then? I'm glad you asked. Um, I was rehearsing for uh, one of the Nursery Originals shows, which I'm assistant directing, I'm not in, called Flashbulb. Um, and it's going to be performed on the 6th, the 12th, the 19th, and the 27th of February, 2016. Nice. <laughs> um, and it's really exciting, because there's an amazing cast, and um, the director is Max Dickens, and we've got this really cool concept for using vintage and found photography as the inspiration for improv. Um, and I think we're just at the point now where we're getting really good scenes out of it, because I think at first, it almost gives you too much. Like, as an improviser, you're not used to working from a visual thing. Because often the suggestions are just a word, so you've got quite 
a lot of leeway to go in whatever direction you want. Suddenly you've kind of got this whole world for you. And um, yeah, I think sometimes people are actually feeling a bit restricted by it. But I think now we've kind of cracked the format and, and worked out how to make the photograph be an invisible thing within the world of the scene. Yeah, do you so, want to explain how the format works? Yeah, well, it's kind of just um, a montage, I guess, or a collage, since it's photos. Mm. <laughs> um, but but very loosely following a Harold sort of structure, because um, Max was quite keen from the start that he wanted something that felt satisfying to watch as a show. And I think there's a reason that people go back to the Harold, um, that it it does kind of have a bit of a payoff. All the reincorporations and the, the storylines and worlds coming together are quite satisfying, I think, for performers and audience alike. Um, so this basically takes place in the mind of an archivist. So Max is actually going to be playing this character and he's collected a lot of random photographs of people that he doesn't know and he sits in his attic. <laughs> so this is, this is the just, character. This is what I'm just saying. not using this as an excuse to get lots of pictures of people he doesn't know. But yeah. it's all right. I'm an yeah, improv yeah. show. Yeah. Some character yeah. I'm playing. Yeah, it's yeah. not the real me. <laughs> Creepy. Um, so all the, the scenes are basically what takes place in his imagination. Um, but because of that, I think it's quite cool that it means that the characters can meet because it's almost dreamlike. You know, you have dreams and people start to morph into other people and people from different parts of your life are in the wrong place. That, that starts to happen a bit, so that's quite exciting. Because when I got on board, I was really um, insistent that I wanted the photographs to be able to transport us to different times and locations. And that, that was quite tricky in any other framing device. We were like, are they all in the same family? How do we... How do we justify having these really different photographs all in one show together and make them have anything to do with each other? And this was just quite a nice way to connect them without forcing that too much. Yeah. Sounds good. And this is the first time you've uh, assisted, directed... Uh... Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. I performed in the first of the nursery original shows called Emotion Play, which was directed by Chris Mead back in October. Very good the show. Friend of the show. <laughs> Friend of everyone. Ah, Chris. Good Yeah, so that was, a, that was a really good learning experience as well. It's definitely feeding into the notes I'm kind of giving yeah. now. What sort of notes are you giving now? Um, well, I've noticed that it's so much easier to be a director than a performer. <laughs> With improv, anyway. I don't want to, like... <laughs> yeah, I don't want to... <laughs> Um, directing is a really important job (laughs) I'm so glad that people do it as well (laughs) but with improv I think that you because you're generating the content you're kind of like writing and directing on your feet anyway so I think Max and I have assembled a really talented group of people and we're just there to kind of guide it and give them the right conditions to be able to do good work We we can't control it and the more that that we step in you're sort of in danger of taking people's own impulses away from them, which is kind of all you have in improv, so you don't want to impose too much. But I think, um, I think it's, quite, it's quite a lot easier. I suppose what I mean is it's quite a lot easier from the outside to see when something's going wrong than it is from the inside to know what the hell to do about it. <laughs> um, 
And sometimes that's the bit that I maybe still need to learn in terms of coaching or directing. It's like, ah, ooh, I can see the, the, the glitch there, but I don't know why that happened or where that's coming from. Um, but I'm trying to think what's an example of a note that I've given. Um, well, for me, I think it's... I just really like seeing juicy, rich, two-person scenes. So I know that not everyone loves that style um but for me if i see too much of the just funny funny um lots of tag outs lots of walk-ons lots of let's blow out the world explore this idea but i don't know who the characters are really and i don't know who they are to each other and how they feel about each other then sometimes i start to get a bit detached from that i think i really enjoy it but it feels like i might not remember that in a month or so so I suppose I've been trying <laughs> secretly to um, to just push in the direction of let's just let this scene breathe. Let's just find out who these people are. Maybe nothing extraordinary happens. Maybe it's extraordinary enough that we're just meeting these people. And I mean, there was a lovely scene that a couple of people did the other day where it was just a really happy couple. They're quite this old couple in a field with some apples in a basket, and they were just laughing and they just. They were just having such a lovely time and it was so contagious. And nothing really happened. They're just laughing about apples, but that's enough for me. <laughs> you're like, you're improv simple. <laughs> yeah, and fruit-based, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I'm like, oh, I know what this is. Happy apples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I just get lost easily as well, so <laughs> it works for my brain. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, let's. Um, uh, we talk about emotion play for a little bit because you were yeah, sure. you were playing a part in that, and uh, yeah, just want to tell us yeah. about how what the concept of that was and how that worked for you. And... Yeah. Um. So Chris Mead, friend of the show, had a really strong concept for the for that show. Um, he wanted to base it on love play, which I think is by Moira Buffini. Nice. Just made her up? No, I think she's real. Which was a play that he knew quite well and really loved. And that takes place all in one geographical location, but from, I guess, like the Roman period, is about as early as we'd ever go. We tried it with, with amoebas at one point, <laughs> going back <laughs> to the beginning of evolution, and their scenes were pretty weird. <laughs> So yeah, we stuck with just like the beginning of civilization. I think that was me actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How would one portray an amoeba? Well, <laughs> this is this is like an actor's masterclass. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it was kind of blobby, and I don't know if it spoke. Probably not. That would be weird. That would be silly. Um, Anyway, so we started with... <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to stick with the amoebas yeah, yeah, for a yeah. second. Yeah. So you initiated an amoeba. I just wanted to see how far back we could go. <laughs> so you walked onto the, the, the stage. I yeah. didn't walk. No. It was no, an amoeba. Was... <laughs> <laughs> I just blobbed. <laughs> you blobbed onto the stage. Yeah. And went... <laughs> That was very good. Yeah. It was pretty much like that, yeah. And then, what, did someone instantly leap up and uh, support yeah. you? Yes. Good. Yeah. 
think it ended quite quickly, though. <laughs> we had a lot of history to get through um, since we'd established that as the beginning. Um, yeah, so for the, sh- for the purposes of the show and based on the play, it was more practical to start with the beginning of sort of civilization as we'd recognise it, I guess. So all the scenes take place in one geographical location, but from that time uh, to the present day and possibly beyond, that was always... Um, a possibility. I don't know if we ended up doing it in shows, but we definitely did it in rehearsals. How far into the future um, did you go? Oh. The whole human race had degenerated back into a Um Oh, no, we never got that far. <laughs> I think it was like a bit, you know, apocalyptic. All right. Um, so that was quite cool. So um, for that, there were basically there were various things going on. Chris was really um, clear on the style of improv that he wanted. He wanted it to be a bit more theatrical. Am I close enough? Is yeah, yeah, that? It's good okay. um, <laughs> a bit more theatrical um, than maybe the typical improv show that's about. Um, so not to be afraid, I guess, of exploring a range of emotions. Um, definitely with the intention of still being funny or the hope, but but not being afraid to like make it quite sad or a bit. Ooh. Whatever that emotion is. <laughs> Let's explore that emotion. What's bit, that emotion? Um, blimey. Is that... <laughs> is that... Is that a genre in which you work often? No. <laughs> I can't think of an example of it now. That's not I'll your aim def- for it. That's not your default. You'll aim for it, but you don't often... My default. <laughs> Yeah, that's the reaction I hope to have from audiences. <laughs> Whatever I mean. Um, so, yeah, so to not be afraid to get a bit more dramatic, I guess. Um, and that was really all about having a feeling about the other character, like really digging deep into what that relationship was, um, which was really cool, especially with that group of people. So much fun to do, and comes quite naturally to me, I think, compared with some other ways into improv. Um, so there was that to think about, but there was also, oh, by the way, the whole history of <laughs> the British Isles. Turns out there were a few gaps in my knowledge, <laughs> but not just in mine. But like in school, I don't think you get taught. You get taught like the Tudors. That's yeah. a big thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the World Wars, yeah. the Victorians. Yeah. I didn't really know anything about the 18th century. And also, like, how do you, how do you um, signify that to your scene partner without being like, oh, hey, witchy, <laughs> who's going to burn at the stake? Like, how do you not... Because it was really important to get out, not the where, because the where was meant to be the same where, um, but the who and the what... Um, quickly so that we can enjoy all that deep yes. relationship stuff yes um well, that's pretty challenging though because you've got all those things that you feel like you've got to remember and if if it's wrong like is that embarrassing will somebody be you know I'll judging pick, you they'll pick you up with your <laughs> lack of history yeah yeah yes I think your education of history was incomplete. <laughs> Please remove yourself from the stage immediately. Or, or it's like really clear in your mind. You're like, I've said I've got a rough, so <laughs> we're fine. And then, then you realise that that applies to like 200 years or something. Or 
yeah, there, there was a lot of vagueness to begin with that we needed to just get around, and I'm terrible for vagueness. Um, and then, and then there was the the whole challenge and the joy of exploring the same where throughout time. Um, that was that was really fun to do because we also had these wooden blocks that were part of a new set that had been created, so we could physically change the space, the, the playing space. We tried not to change it too much each time, um, but we were meant to um, kind of refer to things that might have been left in the past from another scene for us. So, like a classic example is somebody, you know. Uh, scratching their name into a tree and then someone else finds it a few hundred years later or um, referring back to something that's now a burial ground or yeah so there's like these layers of history you're literally like standing on the ruins of someone else's scene so it's quite like that was (laughs) is that the same note or that was different yeah Yeah, that was different isn't it (laughs) they're both good but they're just different yeah the second one's more of a shiver up the spine of kind of like... Yes, chillingly yeah. beautiful. Yes, chillingly beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're waiting for? Yeah, I want that to be on a poster of my face. <laughs> <laughs> no. She's both beautiful and chilling. Yeah. <laughs> my two favourite things <laughs> in a woman. <laughs> uh. um, so, um, with these gaps in your history... Mm. Uh, your knowledge of history. Yeah. Did you do research? Did you try and catch up? Or yeah, we did. Um, <laughs> really, so... I like to think that certain <laughs> certain rehearsals were just Chris going, "Look, we're going to do history in the beginning, history from the beginning to the end." Yeah, oh, pretty much. Well, Sally Hodgkiss was really kind, and she basically, uh, I don't know how, I don't know what she looked on. What was that thing that used to exist when I was a child? It was like a. An online encyclopedia. Well, Encarta. Encarta. Yeah, it was like that. Yeah, it was like that. <laughs> so it was like the Encarta guide to. Um, is she really into retro history. computer stuff? Is that what it is? <laughs> I don't, I'm not saying she actually used that, but it was kind of that level of detail. As far as she's um, concerned, 1995 is the cutoff <laughs> date for computer technology. She won't just anything after yeah, that. Actually, she didn't mention anything that happened after 1995. <laughs> Pretty in the dark about that as well. Um, but she did this thing as well. There were like keywords, so we knew that if any of these words came up, we knew exactly what century we were in. Oh. But they were quite funny. They were like wolves, women. <laughs> like, Hang on, women. <laughs> what, what era were women involved? Oh, sixteen hundreds. Really? You don't hear from them after that. No, yeah. they go a bit quiet. Go a bit quiet. Actually, that was another thing we found that because of a more naturalistic playing style. We decided it made sense to play our own genders, which is something that you're not normally restricted by in improv. But it was quite it was quite interesting, but especially because of the historical settings, you kind of you go, Oh, oh, women, what were you up to in this time? Doesn't say much about you. We yeah. just you know, at home like making the home and looking after domestic life, um, you realise that the the historical roles kind of might restrict what you can actually do in terms of choices to be yes. accurate. Yes. I guess we could play against that as well, but I think we were going for something that was trying to be quite naturalistic. Yes. Rather than rewriting history and Making doing it accident. <laughs> I mean that happened accidentally as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, brilliant. So 
Let's rewind the clock and mm, find to out. Amoebas. To amoebas. <laughs> we'll rewind it back to amoebas and then we'll fast forward it a bit. Great, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to do one of these uh, when someone's just in character mm. for the whole mm-hmm. time. Um, I don't know about the amoeba episode. <laughs> just want the... Uh, really big fans. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, how did you discover improv? How did you enter the world of the performing arts? Mm. Well, I think, so I'm not exactly sure because I've always performed and I think I had a few full starts with improv because I, I had just been doing a sketch show um, called News Review, which a lot of brilliant people have done at various points and I think it was like the first job I had after drama school Um, and what's so good about it is that you're having to write topical material and perform it every week so it kind of forces you to start writing as well and improvising without even realising that's what you're doing Um, and out of that I'd met people that also did improv and I thought I might let to give it a try so I was put in a team and I actually performed a couple of times, but um, without much rehearsal. I think we had like a couple of hours rehearsal, and then it was like, okay, you're in the show next week. And I remember just being so terrified, and it was short form, because I just didn't know what I was doing. It was the only improv experience I'd ever had. I hadn't had any training in it. And it is different from sketch. It is different from acting, although those those skills are really helpful. Um, so I don't think it was the best way to start because it was it was so going into the deep end that it actually put me off it for a few years because of course I was rubbish because I didn't know what I was doing um, and I was very afraid and then I just thought I kind of wrote it off as like oh that's a thing other people do that's not for me um, and then I think it was only years later that I kind of became aware that people were doing other styles and that it wasn't just these games that a thing called long form existed and I mean in the interim I'd been acting and performing and I kind of like started in comedy and and weirdly moved away from it I think because I didn't value the fact that I found it quite easy right I know I know that's a weird thing but I think it's quite common it's like oh that like yeah everyone can do comedy I want to do Shakespeare. And then I realised I wasn't that good at Shakespeare. Actually, not everyone can do comedy. And I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And it's when you realise that if you have a natural inclination to something, that's actually a a good thing. You should pursue that. Um, So then I signed up to do uh, David Shaw's course, um, which was on a, a Saturday morning, I think it was, in... I actually checked this the other day because I was curious about how long I've been doing improv. And I'd kind of count this as the proper start, actually. Um, that was in 2012. And um, that, I remember being, like, my favourite part of the week. But also, I would get so nervous before classes. I'd be, like, like my heart would be thumping you know, I'd have to always go to the toilet downstairs beforehand to just kind of psych myself up and my heart would be thumping. Um, and I think that was, that again, was quite challenging because it was the first proper improv training I'd had and we were learning 
a form at the same time, so we were learning the Herald. Um, and so I thought, oh, maybe I just need to do some other styles as well, or get some other teaching at, at the same time. So I, I guess something a bit looser that wasn't focused on a particular um, discipline. So I started going to hoopla drop-ins as well, and that was just amazing. And, and again, I was like, ah, oh, you know, I've been putting it off for years. Why didn't I start this sooner? This is brilliant. It was just the most fun. I couldn't believe how free it was. Um, and that you just overcome something that normally stands in your way. And I think Steve is so brilliant at being encouraging and creating that safe atmosphere. Even with a drop-in, he'd always you know, say at the beginning, this is your team for the night and everything, and you're going to look out for each other. Um, so you just feel safe to, to take like massive risks, actually. And the bigger the risk, I think the bigger the payoff sometimes. So... Yeah, it was brilliant. Um, and then out of that, I don't think anything happened immediately in terms of improv, but it was like it had kind of reawakened something because I've been getting a bit disillusioned with acting. I've been kind of trying to plug away at it for years, but not really like getting where I wanted to get. I was very stuck in the kind of fringe circuit constantly getting in that cycle of trying to get agents to come and see you so that you get a better job but they only come and see you if you're in a good thing and da 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 um, and kind of watching people who I'd known from news review and that kind of comedy place that I started like doing really well by making their own work and I kind of knew that that was the route I ought to go down but I still felt really scared and I, I still really am scared to do anything completely on my own but then when I discovered improv, I just thought, oh my God, it's great because you've got a team, you've got buddies on stage with you, so you're not on your own. Um, and somehow having to create something live, just, I mean, for somebody like me who will procrastinate and, you know, cross things out and delete things and go, oh, it's not good enough. Like, you have to say something and it has to be good enough because that's what you said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, if the other people like judge it, then that's them being bad. Because <laughs> yeah. that's the rules. <laughs> they have to accept it. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Deal with this. <laughs> so, yeah, making it someone else's problem. So, for me, it was just like, oh, my goodness. And then I suppose I was gradually becoming aware of the kind of community around it and, and kind of feeling like maybe this is something I can join in with. Maybe, because to use like the improv stage as a metaphor, I think it is, I, I felt like I've been standing on the sidelines for a long time or the back line or whatever, kind of watching other people have fun and kind of knowing that I would be having fun if I stepped forward, but just not quite taking that leap, just not being able to somehow. And once I took it, I was like, okay. And then it all started to gather momentum and I was doing um, a two-person show that my friend had written that we then took to Edinburgh. And out of that, I was offered a part in a, a Gonzo Moose show, which we devised, a three-person show, and toured that for seven months or something. About seven months. And then I can't remember exactly what happened with improv after that, there's a gap in my memory. <laughs> but I know that there was an I.O. intensive in some year 
<laughs> that wasn't this year. No. <laughs> that wasn't 2012. <laughs> <laughs> These are the only two years you can remember if things yeah, happen. I told you, I'm not good with history. <laughs> and, um, Let's get the Carter out. <laughs> um, yeah, so I signed up to do that like months and months in advance. And the same night, the night of the first day of that rehearsal, I had an audition for what became the Science of Living Things, which Chris Mead, friend of the show, then coached. Hooray. And that was like, pro- that that was the proper improv education, I feel like. That was the acceleration. Because I feel like um, classes teach you a lot, but it's being in a team yes. that r- is when you really learn. Yes. Um, because you're doing shows. Yes. And uh, we start, I think Launchpad was our first show. Um, I love Launchpads. I think they're, they're so brilliant. good. Yes, they are good. Because you get to see such a mix of shows in varying states of development with, you know, people with varying states of experience um, and all different formats. But also they're just... They just kind of capture the spirit of like, we're just going to try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not ready. We're not ready, but we're just going to do it for 15 minutes. Yeah. 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 Uh, you've touched on the sort of improv that you prefer. I'd like to talk about your style. Mm. As in, what is it that <laughs> makes Emily? I don't Emily? know. Oh, God, I don't know. Well, I would suggest it's, um, it's character and its relationship. And um, when I watch you perform, it it really feels like you're not just doing a funny voice and a funny walk, but you are inhabiting the character, and it feels like oh, someone has nice. actually properly, you know, written. Or, but it seems like someone. Mm. Th- this could be a, in a character from a play or something like that, rather than just somebody. Oh, going, wow! Ooh. Thank you. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah, I do love doing characters, and that's definitely my way in to improvising, I think. I've been thinking about this recently because I know that there's probably an element of, of hiding behind it because, you know, I am introverted and I wouldn't naturally get up on stage and be myself. Like, I'd much rather do that as somebody else. But I, I'm just fascinated with um, taking on other people. Um, I generally approach them through changing my voice, I guess. And I just feel like if you hold yourself differently, if you speak differently, then you think differently. So I just enjoy the feeling of saying things that Emily Murphy wouldn't say and seeing what happens. Um, but no, I mean, in terms of styles, oh God, I've been really confused about this many times. And I think part of it is trying to do too many different styles all at once. Right. Um, I've heard this, that you should kind of like do one for a while and... And then, like, play that out and then then maybe consider going down a different route. Because there was one point when I was in a Harold team that was quite gamey and quite, um, you know, you, you lay out the premise and then you heighten and you explore. And I was also doing short-form games with a house band, Hoopla. And I was doing a motion play. Um, was I doing something else? I feel like I was doing one other thing that was, like, completely different as well and I suppose it's just like your brain can only hold so much or mine can anyway and especially when you're getting feedback on what's good yes. and you're thinking but those two things contradict one another <laughs> ah I don't know what's right I don't know what's good um yeah I mean I, I think there's room for it all and I'm really excited that 
it's being talked about now because it means I think it shows the health of the scene in London that there are so many different styles um, emerging and I think not everyone agrees that there are really different styles and I find that confusing so I'm like no to me they they there definitely are there's definitely different approaches but I still feel like if you saw the best performers from UCB and the best performers from IO and the best performers from Second City and, you know, various people from, you know, Keith Johnston, like theatre sports and stuff, they'd all be able to play together and it would be an amazing show. I think it's just slightly different um, emphasis, maybe. Uh, Is it not the uh, people, uh, all of them are... Something about feeding an elephant, and it's all what? an elephant. Have you not heard that? So there's like six people, and they're all one. Or reaching, feeding an elephant. Fe- feeling it. Or feeling so it. So sort of re- touching, reaching, uh, touching <laughs> an elephant, and it's like, oh, 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 this is a trunk or whatever, and this is a leg, and this is an ear, but actually, it's all the same elephant. Mm. I didn't make that up. I, I just remembered it. <laughs> <laughs> I made that up. I just um, remembered it really badly. Mm, no, it makes sense. <laughs> I don't. Oh, I don't know. Is it all the same? It's all basically the same. It's all basically the same. But um, I think people just do have preferences, don't they? I think um, some people. Okay, so I think about this the other day, and I think some people like funny, funny, just funny, funny, and that is fair enough. I think I like different flavours of funny. I think I like sad funny, ooh, funny, um, dark funny, um, not funny. <laughs> I find that really easy. Um, not funny. funny you mean. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just like a varied palette, right. I guess. Um, but then I also think. Is it my preference or is it just what I'm good at? And are those <laughs> the same things? Because some sometimes I feel like my brain doesn't work quickly enough to do the kind of, here's the premise, oh, I've got a great idea for a tag, <laughs> and um, you know, heightening the game and things. I, I can kind of see it, and I'm like, Ugh. I feel like it's this tennis match happening over my head. I'm like, I can just about make it out, but I don't know how to... Join it. Oh, it's over. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. What's the, what's the question you've got to ask yourself? What what's easy, or what feels right, or what do you do naturally, or or what do you enjoy watching? All of those things. I don't know. <laughs> ask me more questions. More <laughs> questions. Um, do you think having been to drama school has helped your improv? Hmm. Well, I have really mixed feelings about the course that I did because it was a lot of yoga. (laughs) (laughs) It was a lot of yoga? Yeah, which, you know, we paid a lot of money for. Um, (laughs) The teachers really (laughs) want to teach yoga but could only get accepted to teach drama and so they did a lot of yoga. Um, It was quite a a weird course, but I think think what it did give me was, because it was devised theatre, so we were actually improvising, but we were improvising as a way to generate material. Um, rather than that as the product. Um, but I think you had to be quite open-minded to be on a course like that, because sometimes it was terrible, the stuff you were doing. <laughs> and there were, you know, there was stuff like, 
just find find something in the room and respond to it with your voice. <laughs> I remember just like not being able to catch anyone's eye in case they started cracking up as well. But I, I'd found this like um, like plug socket and I was kind of going, <laughs> like breathing at it and just thinking, what the hell? How did I get here? But there's a lot of stuff like that. Um, <laughs> And, you know, some of it did get way too weird for me. But I think having that openness to, well, let's just try. Someone's asked me to do it, so let's see what happens. Um, is quite useful for improv. And just, like, trusting in the process sometimes, even when things feel uncomfortable, even when you'd rather die than carry on the scene you're in. Like, having that commitment that you've got to carry on, you can't let other people down... <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what else did I get from that course? Made some nice friends. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> That's worth three grand, isn't it? Depends <laughs> <laughs> on the friends. Yeah. Oh no, they're worth a grand each. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned um, uh, almost not being able to think quick enough to. Um, you know, partake in the tennis of quick fire things that are going back yeah. and forth. Do you think you do your thinking about improv when you're off stage as opposed to when you're on stage? Mm. Um. Mm. Because I, well, I know that you and I like to think about the improv that we've seen and the improv that we have oh, done. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love reflecting. Yes. Yes. Yes, but not in the moment. Yeah, I do feel like it's a different mode of operating. But now being an outside eye, I feel like I can see the difference between people who are thinking their way through a show. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm quite jealous of them. I'm quite jealous yeah. as well, yeah. And they're going, I see, that's what's happening. Right, I know what will be a smart move here. Da, da, da. Um, I'm not sure if it's just being calm enough to think that, that clearly that I find difficult in improv, because I think there's just so much else fizzing about and the adrenaline and, and everything else. But I also think it's, it's not how I like to feel and I don't feel like that part of my brain is necessarily the most interesting or the funniest I'd rather I'd rather go with my gut and I'd rather go with an impulse and I think sometimes what was really nice about being the science of living things was because it was quite a loose format you could kind of do anything and I remember making some really weird offers sometimes (laughs) and but just being supported or someone just going with it and I really like that feeling of just like I want to do a weird thing (laughs) (laughs) Um, because when else do you ever get to do that and I don't want to have to know why or or think about like think it through because I spend my whole life doing that like I think improv is the one place where I feel like I don't have to be right and I don't have to be good and it doesn't have to be correct um so if I feel I suppose that's I suppose that's what freaks me out if if the game and the premise and everything becomes the most important thing 
I've, I'm worried that there's almost like a map of the perfect scene there and I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss those points. I'm not going to be good enough. Like, that's a way to measure myself against. And I do not need any help <laughs> beating myself up. Thank you very much. <laughs> so you can keep that tool. Um, but if it's just more organic, then I feel like it's what those people created on that night together and it and it had to be that way because it was that way and I realise it's really difficult to talk about what you like without sounding like you're doing down the thing that isn't what you most like so I'm really conscious of not wanting to do that because I think it's amazing when people are good at it and they do it well I just know the way it makes me feel is a bit thick (laughs) 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 um and I don't like feeling like that. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you beat yourself up? Because um, <laughs> I'm a terrible person. I don't know. <laughs> I think I've been told that I'm really hard on myself. Um, which I know. <laughs> um, oh. Why is a really hard question to answer. I don't know. I think I'm a perfectionist. In life, anyway, I feel like I have ideals that I would like to attain and, and I put quite a lot of pressure on myself to, to reach those. And in improv, oh, it's hard, isn't it? Because you, you reflect afterwards and sometimes you think, like, oh, I didn't really do that at that point that I could have done or that didn't you know, go as well as I'd hoped. But... But really, that's all rubbish. You shouldn't do that after an improv show because you did what you did in those circumstances, you know. Um, I think there's a balance because I think there are things you can learn. Mm. But equally, there's not, you know, not much point in regretting the roads not taken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, you also... Uh, enjoy musical improv yeah I do yeah I'd like to um I'd like to do more of that actually yeah I did a really good course with the Maydays um in some year (laughs) and um yeah it was brilliant I think it's just because it forces you to make such a huge commitment and you also if you don't make a bold emotional offer you don't get a song so you have to kind of be emotional and you have to play a character and then it's just this huge gift to the audience and to everyone. Um, and it's, it's just elating, isn't it? It's just it's so much fun to do. Um, but at the moment, I kind of I feel a bit timid again because it's been a while since I've done it. So I wouldn't feel confident right now if somebody pumped me into singing on stage, especially, especially for the technical aspects. Like I, I feel like I'd like to master... Um, you know the, the structures and the rhymes and everything else a bit more but um, was it Ruth Bratt said something a while ago I think we, we were at the same workshop when we were a showstopper workshop which is kind of actually if you completely invest in the character and the emotion chances are the technical stuff will sort itself out which I thought was really interesting because um, that's another thing that I find restricting and not in a helpful way is when format becomes more important than the organic kind of improv that's emerging, um, which is why I think 
Harolds can be daunting at first until you've kind of got over them and, and learnt to use them to help you, um, which I, I haven't done. <laughs> <laughs> um, and similarly with narrative, I mean, I was uh, in a two-person, two a two-prov, where we were doing narrative fairy tales, and I think we were still kind of very much in our heads about what, what's the next plot to move, what's the next thing to happen. We were thinking about structure. And I would like to get to the point where with songs and with narrative, that's just all embedded and you don't even have to worry about that. Um, and I think, yeah, Sophie Pomfrey was really good at, at, at keep, keeping on reminding us both that we kind of have those skills. It's normal for people to make up stories. It's, you know, and people make up songs when they're kids. It's like skills that we kind of have inherently, but we've forgotten um, and we're just self-conscious and we're critical and all of that just makes it harder. <laughs> so, yeah. Interesting. Tell me about this coterie that you're involved in. What's this? Oh, yeah. So we rehearsed on Wednesday nights and it was set up by Mark Rule, who is a fantastic improviser and quite an experienced writer as well. Um, and at the moment, there's just three of us doing it. Liam Brennan as well, who's another fantastic improviser. Um, and the idea was to use improv as a way to write sketch. Um, so I found the the kind of training from the FA quite useful for that, actually, because it's very helpful for finding a premise and kind of heightening the game that you find. Um, because I think that... It, what What is really interesting is that not all improv even successful improv scenes lend themselves well to sketch and that's been the biggest kind of revelation is you know playing things back because we we tend to audio record everything we're doing and things can be hilarious at the time but then when you pick it over and go well what was the idea here what was the what was this really and how can we repeat that and and hone it and things Sometimes it's just hilarious when your friend does a ridiculous voice. And yet, like, maybe there's an argument for writing a sketch that just allows them to do that hilarious voice. <laughs> but what if someone's going to sub in for them one night yes. and it doesn't work anymore? Yes. It, it still needs to be something that stands alone on paper that you could give to someone else and they'll say, oh yeah, there's jokes in this. <laughs> um, which is kind of new territory for me. Um, but I'm really enjoying the process. It's really fascinating. In fact, the, the part that I probably most enjoy is the editing process because I still find having a blank page quite daunting. And especially committing stuff to writing, it seems a scarier prospect than improv, which everyone knows is disposable. Okay, there might be another improv troupe on the other side of the world doing a similar sketch to you right now, but, wow, well, we don't know. But when you've... When you've committed something to paper, you're just flooded with, oh, there's a Monty Python sketch, oh, I've just copied, oh, no. And, you you know, you realise that it's really difficult to come up with original ideas. And then you can get into, well, what is our voice? What is our USP? What are we as a group that's going to make us stand out? And none of these things are very helpful when you're just trying to generate material. But I think that's why improv is so good, because... It's forcing you to come up with a lot of ideas in quite a time-effective way, I guess, because if you you know, set the recorder for 20 minutes and you're kind of on air and you're just constantly saying stuff, 
then you're probably going to be a lot more productive, definitely than I would be anyway, sitting alone on my own, trying to come up with one line for 20 minutes. Um, But then whether that stuff has enough sketch-like substance to it is another question altogether. Um, But yeah, it's been really interesting. So what is the Coterie's USP? What is the Coterie voice? Um, We're quite keen to use our own or or sort of heightened versions of us as part of the act because I think it's really important that people see you as the performers um, doing sketch otherwise it can feel a bit closed off I think and that that's that's one thing that I still struggle with Um, but I'm sure that there's a way to harness the spontaneity and the the inclusivity I guess for want of a better word of improv into sketch because I sometimes watch sketch and I think oh this is really funny oh yeah and I sit there and I realise I'm just smiling <laughs> but I'm not laughing yes. and I, and it's not that it's less funny than improv because I could watch that exact same scene being made up spontaneously and I know I'd be laughing but there's something about being there in the moment of creation that makes you feel responsible somehow so you feel included, you're part of the joke, because like, ah, you know, it's really happening live in front of you. And there's always a, there's always an element of sketch that's felt slightly closed off to me, just slightly contrived, slightly, I don't know, I can't, I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, but obviously the advantages of, of it are that it can be repeated, it can be recorded, um, it can be rehearsed and you can you can really hone those jokes that sometimes pop up in improv but then they're, they're lost forever so that's the real pleasure especially like I say with the editing process and then rehearsing you can kind of you find the ultimate way to say that thing that you improvised saying the first time that you were a bit waffling your way through mm. you can be like no, those are the words that capture it That that's the way to hit that beat spot on I think that's what it does really well. But as to how to capture the joy and the kind of anarchy and the craziness of improv into that, I'm not sure yet, but hopefully we'll find them. And when we did our last show, we actually incorporated a couple of sketches that had moments of audience participation. And that seems to be a way to incorporate it because that's quite unpredictable what they're going to do. Which was scary, actually. It It was scary being in one mode, but potentially going into the other because you know what your lines are meant to be kind of but I think we've all worked with each other long enough and we all know improv well enough I think that that we could allow it to go quite off the rails and still bring it back um but there has to be a point to it being a sketch as well you don't want it to go so off the rails that it becomes improv because it's like well let's just do improv then yes so I don't know there's there's an interesting relationship there that we haven't quite um, settled on, and I guess that's what's exciting. So I'm not sure what our, our USP will be. I think I think I don't know um, of many groups using improv to write sketch, and, make, and definitely not in their set as well. Because I think that was the original idea that we would use maybe premises and then improvise them, and maybe just have some straight up improv as part of the set as well. Maybe there are other groups doing that in the UK, but I'm not aware of them right now. But ooh. <laughs> 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 that sounds great. Yeah.
That was right. That was me having a cough. I wasn't answering you in a character. Oh, you sounded like a jazz musician. Yeah. From the... that's, that's great. <laughs> I really love that stuff you say about sketch. I'm so tired. Oh. Um, yes, brilliant. That sounds great. Uh, but you also have an interesting clowning. Yeah, I do. Um, I wouldn't by any stretch call myself like an expert in this area at all. I've only done a few workshops. Um, there's a lot of people out there with far more knowledge, but I really love it and I find it fascinating. Um, I did a workshop with Mick Barnfather, which I would really recommend to anyone that's involved in comedy. Um, in fact, there were quite a few stand-ups doing it and it, it's it's quite a painful process, but if you're going to have that painful process with anyone, I think Mick is the kindest... <laughs> to guide you through it because you kind of get broken down because you realise that the things that you think make you funny do not and you have to refine it so you do kind of get broken down and hopefully built up again by the end although not everybody does um, and there's way harsher teachers out there if you really want to get broken down um, but it's kind of amazing because yeah you you find yourself kind of pulling out your normal tricks, thinking, well, oh, this will go down well. And it's that those first moments when the whole audience is staring at you and not laughing. It's the most vulnerable, like, awful feeling. But at the same time, that's what the clown is supposed to feed off. Like, you're supposed to love being in the shit. And that's that's what drives you to, to try something. And they talk about it as, um, it's like a baby that's that's crying and you you've got you're like going oh, what about this what about oh no no you don't like that okay never mind, never mind. what about this oh you like that i'll keep doing that um you just and it, it is you know born out of a need to keep the audience happy so it's a very direct relationship with the audience so it's certainly not a closed off thing and there's no way you could never get too involved in what you're doing or too indulgent in that. It's for the audience, and if it's not funny, you're failing. There's no two ways about it. It's very black and white, and you get warnings, and that's like, you're rubbish, you're boring us, do something else. And if you ignore that, then you're just going to go and sit down. So it teaches you to be quite sensitive to, like, is this working? Are they pleased with me? <laughs> um, and I don't think it's necessarily completely transferable to all performing situation because it's a performance art of its own but it's a fascinating training and there's no way of faking it basically I remember being terrified I think I was one of the last people to go up in a certain exercise we went up in pairs and I'd watched everyone else kind of have their moment but there's although you can learn from watching other people it isn't necessarily going to be anything to do with what your experience is because the whole thing is the way Mick teaches it anyway is that it's finding your joy to be funny in front of an audience it's a very individual thing so he doesn't teach like a certain style of clowning um so you're watching it and thinking oh right well, I'll just do that because like running around in a circle really worked for that guy <laughs> but that's not going to work for you you can't fake it you have to genuinely like find it in yourself and it and it's probably not what you think it's going to be which is really weird as well but it's so so joyful to watch people I think in that state of complete vulnerability and and joy to be vulnerable um 
I, I just remember because there was another course with um, Dr. Brown at the Soho Theatre, and there were a few stand ups, like quite experienced stand ups in there, and they needed a bit of breaking down and layers stripping away and things. Um, but when you saw somebody kind of in that state, you saw them like they were five years old, and it was like, oh no, what does life do to you? And it gets really, <laughs> but it's just this this state of kind of happy to be a bit clueless, (laughs) just happy to be, just happy to be there, Um, which is so nice, and I wish we could harness more, and I, some of my favourite improvisers do have that quality, I mean, I think Steve Rowe is hilarious on stage, and I think he's very clown-like, actually, Um, you know, kind of breaks all the rules, He, he loves playing the stupidity of things, and I think... I know we talked a little bit about um, like kind of clever ideas and, and thinking your way through. And, and, and partly it's because I, I don't do that or I can't do that. But I I think stupidity is much funnier than cleverness. <laughs> and I love it when people just dare to go there because it's a kind of a vulnerable place because we're trying to always cover up the fact that we're massive clowns underneath. Well, I, I feel like that anyway. Like, I'm always like... And I get into work and I realise I've got loads of croissant on my scarf and my shoes are on the wrong feet and I've just tripped over and like... But I need to present to the world that I'm a competent human being. Um, and it's a lot of effort sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so I just love that. And I, I think even if even if it's not harnessing the stupid necessarily, the the boldness, the boldness of the clown presence is really appealing. And I remember feeling... I don't know what show I was in the middle of doing or about to do, but I was feeling quite nervous about something. And then I went to the Miller and Reese Collier from Do Not Adjust Your Stage was performing that night. And I also can't remember particularly the scene, but he came out with such a forward energy, just like shoulders broad, just open, with such this thing of almost like somebody like skydiving without a parachute, just... Parachuting. Um, I'm just. I'm here. <laughs> I'm, I'm here to improvise, and I think we should never. We should never forget that 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 forward. I'm just going to chuck myself in. I don't have all the information. I have none of the information, but I'm here because that's what's so appealing. That's what's so exciting to the audience that you're brave enough to stand there with nothing and really commit to something. And um, yeah, I think. I need to try and harness that energy more in my <laughs> Cool, cool. Um, right, final question. Mm-hmm. If you had to give advice to somebody starting out in improv, mm. what would your advice be? Um, Don't do it because I can't cope with any more competition. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that was me. <laughs> um, I would definitely advise going to Hoopla, first of all, because I just think it's such a fun, safe way to start. And I think it it gives people the joy of improv, which is the most important thing, I think, to have. You know, you'll get skilled later on, but never lose the joy. Um, and I guess just start performing as early as you can. I think that's really important. Because it feels very different when you're standing in front of an audience. Um, I think a lot of it is just learning to be relaxed enough to do what you want to do when there's people watching you. Um, 
and I have a lot of fear of the unknown, but there's something about my body that has learned that it's done enough shows at the Miller that it's like, oh, okay, we've been here before. It was okay last time. <laughs> It'll probably be all right again. So you just need to get that experience under your belt so that you can kind of not do a lot of the things that come out of just panic. Um, that's the whole Mick Napier thing, isn't it? He's like, you know, all the rules of improv only really exist because they're dealing with the things that people do as a result of fear. So if you just kind of throw in, like, just downplay the fear as much as possible, then you can then, you can do good improv. Because um, it's just about listening and having fun and playing with your friends. Um, what else? I definitely think, I suppose as well, because this is my background, I think a lot of improvisers come into it from a route of not having had lots of performance experience. And I think people should take a couple of acting classes just to like, become more aware of what their bodies are doing, how, where to stand on stage, what, what that looks like, what that tells you about the character, um, and learn how to use their voices properly, I guess. Um, it's a bit of a pet peeve of mine that in this country I don't think we're nearly physical enough in our improv, and I hope it starts to go more in that direction. Um, I think there's a lot of people that, that get into it through a kind of stand-up route, um, so you see a lot of people saying clever things, but they're not, it's just from the head up and you don't really get any kind of physical investment. Um, so take some acting classes, <laughs> go and see lots of shows and try and work out what you like. Um, yeah, I think launch pads are great for that because you get to see so much over one evening, but also there's just so much on now. There's like actually a choice of two or three improv shows on several nights of the week. It's amazing. Uh, read some books Yay. <laughs> and be nice just be nice because oh there's no time for like dealing with people that aren't <laughs> nice and you won't get very far if you're not and I don't really think there's many people in the improv community that, that aren't nice because it is all about like can you play nicely with the other kids isn't it you don't want somebody to be judgmental you don't want somebody to be blocky and negative um i think it's a really good like emotional workout i think it makes you a better human brilliant i think that sounds like um, the uh the so point much more to say <laughs> another time <laughs> <laughs> cool thank you very much oh thank you i made this It's Call to Action time. Please follow the podcast on Twitter. The address is at Improv London. That's Improv! That's improv.